If you've seen me on this podcast for a while, you've probably heard me use the S word a few times, and I'm gonna use it now, silos. Because in healthcare, we have a lot of these information silos, stakeholders that all operate exclusively in their own little worlds, forgetting to think about the broader implication of their work that they're doing as part of the value chain. And in part, that's why Talking Health Tech exists, bringing together different perspectives within the digital health ecosystem and breaking down those silos one conversation at a time. Which is why I'm so passionate about being part of Curiosity Camp here with the Digital Health CRC, where participants are split into different groups called tribes, and each tribe has a leader. Tribes are working towards solving different challenges in healthcare. And all the participants are a good mix of digital health researchers, technology vendors, clinician and patient representatives, all the different stakeholders to build evidence-based approaches to address some of the trickiest problems in healthcare. So this is part two of a mini series that we've done in collaboration with the Digital Health CRC here at Curiosity Camp. So make sure you jump back one episode to catch more of these conversations. But right now, you'll hear me speak to some of the tribe leaders here at Curiosity Camp. Collaboration starts with a conversation, Team Health Tech. Let's make it happen. This is Talking Health Tech with me, Peter Birch, featuring content and community about technology in healthcare. Hello, Georgie Drury, co-founder and CEO of Metaluma. We are building a new model of care and we're starting with women, particularly looking at perimenopause and menopause. Excellent. And Georgie, before we dive into understanding what you're doing here at Curiosity Camp, tell me a little bit more about the model of care and what that means and what that looks like in the work you do. Sure. So having spent a couple of decades working in digital health with a previous startup I also had, which I exited a few years ago, mm. Um, having done a lot and be big believer in digital health, we also know that health, digital health alone really is difficult to work. And so what we're really looking to do is combine uh, technology to really help empower clinicians so doctors and nurses make the right decisions and also help the, I like to call them clients versus patients, also mm. be empowered with what their data is telling them and how we can move that forward. Got it. And what does that look like? Does it look like a, a clinician portal and a patient Portal, yeah, a, effectively. A, a client portal. So what we're building, the first thing that we're finding, especially if we look at perimenopause and menopause, mm. is there is a huge lack of understanding as to what it is. And our current billing model for health with GPs really doesn't help women unpack that in one consult. Mm. So what we've learned, and thanks to the Digital Health CRC, we've actually run a study in validating or feasibility of this model, is that women like the concept of group coaching or at least a six-week one-on-one coaching. So mm. doctor-led, nurse-supported. So if you can imagine a doctor, they're having one conversation with 10 women because a lot of it is just that increase and uplift of health literacy. Um, and so they can do that in a really shared, um, safe space. And the doctor can get back to medicine because they're actually practicing 90 minutes of unpacking all these symptoms and helping yeah. women understand what's going on. What I love about that is that it's, um, you know, you've, you've identified a need and, you know, can build a solution and a model of care around it. But it's not just based on Georgie reckons this is a problem, which is, it's, which is where all kind of solutions need to start from. And that's really important. But in healthcare, to get the buy-in from any stakeholders, but also to create you know, interventions that, that, are, um, that have the best potential to have legitimate outcomes, having that evidence to, to base the work gone is critical. So it's 100%. great to have that support from the DHSC. We're making assumptions. So mm. the Digital Health CRC helps us validate those assumptions um, and then we can test and learn and move forward. Yeah. And to be clear, my co-founder is an integrative GP. And so she has a subscription-based GP clinic 
but her books are full. So what we're trying to do is bring technology to her clinic and help make it scale. Yeah. So you got the clinical expertise, my background in tech, and so we're hoping that we can create a little bit of magic. Super combo. Now, yeah. we're here at Curiosity Camp and you're leading a tribe. Tell us a bit more about the work you're doing in your group. Yeah, so um, I'm super thankful to be down here around all these brilliant intelligent people having not done academia and not done PhDs and all these incredible things. Yeah. I'm in awe at their ability to do that. I feel remarkably like underqualified. In this room. <laughs> <laughs> Always underqualified. Yeah. As they say, if you're in the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. That's really, not my problem here. We are in the right room. We're in the right room. <laughs> and so I really think that whilst we're looking at menopause, if we look at community and society in general, mm. there is an awesome ABS stat. Well, it's not awesome. There's this beautiful graph, mm. which is not beautiful, but it basically shows that over 45, women in leadership starts to decrease right. and then males in leadership starts to increase. Hmm. And so my assumption and thesis is that potentially menopause plays a part of that, but we also then want to unpack what else could be part of that so that we can actually come up with the right solutions for corporate Australia to take on board so that we can end up with those diversity and inclusion goals that we're all setting. Yeah, got you. And so what does that look like when, when we say unpack that and, you know, taking a more evidence-based uh, approach towards understanding it? What are some of those things that the, the tribe is doing? Yeah, so firstly, we've done a whole bunch of interviews with people leaders in Australia to actually um, see what their thoughts and opinions are. So the researcher was able to do those interviews. And then we broaden it more widely with um, surveys, so opened up the general public and say, hey, you tell us, what are you mm. seeing in this space? Yeah. Uh, which has been quite exciting. What I, you know, in hearing in one of the session, the reflection session this morning, and, and we did quite a deep dive into the, the work that you're doing and the, the results from, or the, the answers from some of the people that have been interviewed, it, um, it didn't sound like a discussion about technology at all. And it's a, a discussion about the problem. And I think at some point someone asked, like, so where does the, the health bit or the technology bit come into it? And at first it sounded like, oh, maybe we've gone off point. But if anything, like you, you, you're Reset the, the where you're spending the most amount of time isn't so much about which bit of technology should we use here. It's like, what's the heart of this problem that we're solving? Yeah, it's identifying the fact that, you know, in the research that we did, 100% of people said, I think there's a place for corporates to help with perimenopause and menopause in the workplace. And then it's, well, what does that mean? We want things like flexibility. We want things like access to care. Can I take time off to go and see a GP? And then in itself could be solved with digital health. Yeah. So do I really need to leave work, drive down to the GP, have an appointment, then come back? No. Or could my doctor proactively, looking at my data, ping me and say, I think you're doing really well? Yeah. So could you solve that with an SMS and a very structured, safe environment to go backwards and forwards between a patient and a clinician? Because mm -hmm. as you can imagine, if you wake up with a new symptom every day of perimenopause, um, women are not even taking the time to think yeah. how bad is this symptom? So women are rocking up to the GPs when it's actually really, really bad. Yeah. I'd love to, uh, one, one thing you mentioned in one of the reflection, reflection sessions this morning was around uh, helping, uh, and I might, I might have got this wrong, but uh, helping uh, employers or the corporate world understand it's a bit more about creating op um, the flexibility for the humans that are employed within uh, organisations as opposed to, you know, women over 45 in particular. Tell me, like, uh, tell me a little bit more about, about what you were talking about there. 
Well, we're the background in digital health, really focusing on health and wellbeing. Mm. Um, so we built a proprietary wellbeing check tool that really looked at the five pillars of wellbeing. So physical, social, emotional, financial, and career. And all those pillars need to come together for you to be a thriving individual. Mm. So I'm really of the instance that I need to empower my humans to bring their whole self to work yeah. and that each human is going to have something going on that we need to support them. Mm. For a large majority of those women over 45, perimenopause and menopause could be a contributing factor to that. Mm. But I'm not trying to dismiss the 25-year-old that's wanting to try and win a triathlon yeah. or, you know... Um, someone who's just potentially, you know, dealt with the death of their wife. Like, mm. who knows the myriad of things that we bring to work every day? Yeah, we've all got stuff. We've all got stuff. <laughs> um, the I think about, you know, you talked about that graph and that that problem of of uh, women over forty five. It's decreasing in terms of um, senior leader or executive roles, and it's going the other way for for men in the same position. It's not a um, a small problem to address, and it's uh, one could say is deeply entrenched in cultural kind of norms and other things um how do you go particularly for for other people that might be looking to solve problems that might feel insurmountable how do you keep yourself you know focused on like having an impact or it feels like this problem's too big to solve and all that kind of stuff like surely these types of thoughts come to mind Absolutely. But I think it's one step forward mm. because we are getting the visibility of women in those leadership roles. Mm. Um, and as a mum of a 10-year-old girl, I have to believe yeah. that by the time she hits the workforce in, you know, 15, 25 years, mm. um, something has changed for her. Mm. And that was my experience. So I can remember working for a big consulting company um, as a freshly grad from university yeah. and they made one of my favourite female partners redundant. And I can remember thinking, why would I stay here? Mm. So that visibility has changed. Yeah. Uh, it's unfortunately a lot slower than we would like, but it's collectively with the right voices, um, having conversations at the right level with the right evidence mm. to back it up. So it's not assumptions or win women whinging. Mm. It's like, here's the data. Um, so we can help them make data-driven decisions. Yeah, love it. So lastly then, what are you hoping then at the end of Curiosity Camp and beyond um, happens with the work that you've done with your truck? Oh, I hope it lives long well beyond me mm. um, and so that we can put that one step forward as to what could look like 10, 20 years from now. Um, and hopefully we then have, um, you know, the change that we're all seeking forward for. And so, and then for uh, women in particular that have, um, you know, heard this conversation now, keen to learn more or seeking help or wanting to understand the work you're doing, Georgie, what should they do? Oh, we would love for them to get in touch. So you can visit metalluma.com or follow us on socials. Um, and we'd love to have you in our programs. Uh, my name is Guy Tafnat. I am a technical founder of Evidently and I am here at Curiosity <laughs> Camp as a tribe leader. Yeah, excellent. And uh, it's great to be able to uh, have you leading one of the tribes and being part of the sessions and, and sharing your insights, you know, from the, the industry side for those. Tell us a little bit more firstly to, to set the scene where your kind of focus and, and industry area is, and that might help us then set the scene to talk a bit more about the work you're doing with your tribe. Sure. So um, evidently is focused on real world data and real world evidence. Um, from working at Evidently, we've had a... Uh, um, 
an experience to say that there's a lot of data that goes missing that mm. should be there. There's a lot of um, talks about different kinds of data, like social determinants of health and advanced care directives, uh, that is not well captured and therefore uh, potentially not well studied, not well expressed, and definitely not interoperable. So what we're doing at the tribe, we're looking at um, one of those areas mm-hmm. of advanced care directive and coming up with a terminology, a sort of a, a language to start the conversation about it and to start capturing data about it so it can be studied further uh, and can be commented on by the public and, and so on. So that's been the work mm. we've been focused on. Yeah, excellent. Uh, so tell us a little bit more about this, this problem to be solved around the... Uh, language or communication gap when it comes to advanced care directives that your tribe is working on today? So we look at it as more as a data capture problem, but mm. obviously you need a good language or some language model to be able to capture, and those are called in healthcare terminologies. Mm. So it's a standard way for everybody to refer to the same things and using the same words. Mm. Uh, and also, but it also defines relationships between words, for example, Christianity is a religion and things like that. So um, the um, other part of it is to decide what are the parts uh, of speech that are actually important for, uh, in this case, the advanced care directive. So the tribe has identified three domains. One is the prerequisite, what needs to happen for an advanced care directive to be triggered. One is the instruction itself, what to do or not to do. And one is the quality of the advanced care directive, which is the related to the state of mind of the person making the advanced care directive at the time that they're making the advanced care directive. So mm. they might be been in a room with family members, so they were not comfortable talking about everything freely or they were mm. under pain at the time. And uh, this would affect the quality of the advanced yeah. care directive. And when it's interpreted, clinicians are expected to bring that into consideration it's interesting when you're talking through that i my mind immediately goes to well look something as complicated as a something as um sensitive sometimes as an as an advanced care directive where the, the person uh who's receiving medical treatment uh has has documented hopefully what their, their wishes might be in the event that they're not in a position to be able to um, communicate that themselves or you know their carers or or their um their EPOA or something. So that's quite a, you know, what their feelings are. Like there's a lot of subjective terms around mm-hmm. there. So when we're trying to improve that, that, there's a lot of areas of healthcare that are fluffy or that, that are subjective right. and kind of squishy. And so to be able to take a very, you know, codified, uh, like let's put it all into a thing that kind might have, might jar with it. But you, you've uncovered, at least in my mind, that what we're talking about here is a very, um, human or, or a fluffy concept, which is communication mm-hmm. and language. So this is interesting that bringing together quite this standard, right. standardized approach to a, a subjective term, that's, um, yeah, that's, quite, that's really quite interesting to me. So um, I would say two things. One, um, all of medicine is fluffy terms, mm-hmm. right? But it is coded and there's reasons why it's coded. Some of them is to do with billing, mm. uh, not in the case of advanced care directive probably, but, um, but in the case of medications or procedures, these are coded, you know, primarily for and diagnoses. These are for for yeah. being able to claim uh, against them correctly. Um, but what makes medicine more rigid and to the more structured like that, as you say, is actually the fact that it is codable. Mm. 
Uh, and so we give names and we decide that, you know, procedures are distinct enough from, uh, say, medication to not be called one category but two categories. Mm. Uh, and the same thing with the advanced care directives. The reason it's so f- squishy and fluffy, as you say, is because we don't actually have a good language to talk about it and that's it, it becomes a cycle yeah. that we don't have a good language so it's fluffy because it's fluffy it's hard to come up with a good language mm. and so we want to break that cycle by starting with uh, even a, just a basic or a start of a language yeah some might be thinking about uh, the, the potential to create a more structured language towards something like an advanced care directive what we don't want to happen is for the computer just to decide how healthcare is to be delivered right up until the very end. And so we're not running, we don't want to run every patient flow through an algorithm and then, you know, the AI or whatever, or the data spits out, mm-hmm. then this is what's going to happen to the patient. But I guess there's a role for that information to play a part to be able to allow a clinician to make more informed and human decisions at that end of that cycle. Right. So there's a couple of things here. One, um, what already happens is advanced directives exist. They're just fluffy and squishy. Mm. Uh, And then that means the burden of interpreting them correctly is on the clinician while the Mm. patient is not there. And when we have good parts of speech, then when somebody, if it's the clinician, let's say, is trying to get an advanced care directive from the patient, then they know exactly, okay, under what circumstance, what is the instruction? They have a structure to ask about. It also means that when it's time to actually use the advanced care directive, there's no question of how it's to be interpreted. And so the clinician is not as liable as they would be now, uh, which, and, you know, quite frankly, it's probably a stressful moment. Um, The clinician is probably uncomfortable making a decision that's you know life or death or 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 close to that Mm. on behalf of a patient who's unconscious that would be very stressful for them so having that kind of language and having the patient's instruction clear because it's in a in a Mm. sort of constraint language i think justifies the need to have a constraint language um if we leave it as open it's just um yes it's more expressive this way potentially but not in a way that's useful to a clinician to actually act on that. And let's remember, it's there to be acted on, not just to express the patient's wishes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Um, so thinking through the process of working with your tribe, what I like about Curiosity Camp anyway, is, or it feels a little bit different, is that it's not just like a, um, like a hackathon with, with techies mm-hmm. or, an, or even an incubator with you know, startups coming through. It's this bringing together different stakeholders of uh, the technical vendor or industry side and some clinicians, but also the research side and some consumer advocates mm-hmm. and patients too. So how have you found, found that process? And what are you hoping then that is that some of the outcomes of, of the work you're doing in your tribe? Yeah, I think this is, um, has been quite an experience. I must say that going into a curi- what is a curiosity camp? And I kept asking and, and Mel <laughs> kept saying, well, we'll figure it out. Um, so is it a hackathon? Is it not a hackathon? It's got elements, but mm. it's different. It's definitely mm. different. And I think what's really nice about the tribe is that it's very diverse um, in terms of the people's the skills that people bring to it. We have an ethicist and we have coders. Uh, we have a clinician. We have um, people from just the healthcare industry like me and sort of the data side. So it's quite a diverse group. And with a lot of interests, and there, what is created is actually a well-rounded, I think, terminology, mm-hmm. 
with already an implementation and a database and somewhere where people can uh, contribute after the Curiosity Camp uh, and, 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 and live on. And so it's been, I, I must say, I, I walked into this with a really open mind and I was not disappointed. It was really mm. fun. Excellent. Um, lastly, then thinking about um, more broadly across the camp, there's, there's five tribes working on different problems to be solved with all different experiences that you, you've kind of just highlighted then. And it's uh, emphasized throughout, you know, the last couple of days that I've experienced anyway, there's this um, a lot of opportunity when different stakeholders within healthcare can come together to solve some of these problems. But there's also a lot of gaps still out in the industry and the mm-hmm. ecosystem more broadly about you know, competing interests or um, just totally misaligned kind of understanding of who needs to do what or, or like someone's job, like on the research side might stop here and then the industry side stops here. Mm-hmm. Where would you hope that, you know, uh, at least taking some of the nuggets that come out of this particular session um, could be applied to the ecosystem more broadly to allow, say, some of these research ideas to actually have right. traction and be commercialized? But I, I think... This is going back to the idea that it is a curiosity camp and not just sort of, a, I don't know, a research retreat or something like mm-hmm. that. It is about those future leaders and what they will get out of it. And I think if my tribe learned that um, even something that seems at the beginning very simple, like advanced care directives, can really go down the rabbit hole and become really complicated and interesting on one hand. So there is that complexity in healthcare and it's unavoidable. But also, we shouldn't be afraid of it, and we can tackle it, and we can make... We don't need uh, the license or label of researcher or clinician to uh, investigate the nature of, um, of healthcare as it's delivered, um, because it's delivered both to patients and by doctors but it's, and other clinicians, but it's all humans, right? We're all human, the doctors are, and uh, as are the patients, and... There is a common language to be had there. And so we shouldn't really be afraid to question uh, healthcare. We have to remind ourselves to be evidence-based and not so much emotion-based. But, you know, emotions will lead us down a path that we can then go and gather evidence for. So that's, um, I think, if, if, we, if they learned one thing is that um, it's okay for them to question and, and be curious mm about aspects of the healthcare, even if they're fluffy and squishy, even if they don't feel like an authority on, uh, it affects all of us. And so mm. we should all have a say. Yeah. G'day, Sound Tim. Box. How are you going? Yeah. Good, Pete. How are you going? Good, mate. Good. You know, taking a bit of a break from the archery and I missed your bullseye just as I was... Yeah, I, I was hitting heaps of bullseyes before you came <laughs> and then all of a sudden, yeah. Yeah, story of your life, yeah, yeah, for sure. But look, um, tell us a bit about what you're doing here at Curiosity Camp with the Digital Health CSA. Yeah, totally. So um, I'm from the industry side, um, my um, startup Vively. Um, we've got a metabolic health platform um, that uses continuous glucose monitoring to, to help people improve their metabolic health. As part of, um, you know, um, getting that product into market, um, I learned something really interesting. Um, meta- uh, Australia is in the midst of a metabolic health crisis, um, but there's a real awareness problem. And what I discovered when we looked at the data at Vively was that um, less than 15% of users had reported um, having prediabetes or type 2 diabetes, but when you looked at the data, two-thirds 
uh, of, you know, over 5,000 users, you know, are in the pre-diabetes or, or type 2 diabetes range right. uh, based on their glucose data. Um, so that kind of really highlights um, a huge awareness problem mm. um, in, the, in the general population. And, and for me personally, um, I'm really interested um, around how we can solve that problem. And I think research um, is obviously um, one, of the, one of the best ways to do that. Yeah. And so I think Curiosity Camp's been incredible because it's been this sort of forcing function where, you know, for a week, um, you know, we've got um, a whole team here of researchers figuring out how to address this problem. Mm. And um, what we are working towards this week is, is putting together a really comprehensive research plan um, that looks at um, what are the ways to address the metabolic health crisis in Australia and how can continuous glucose monitoring, which is an innovation that has obviously come from um, type 1 diabetes, how can that be applied and used to address the metabolic health crisis? Because it shows a lot of promise as a technology. Um, and so that's what we're doing here this week. I think that's awesome. I think about in this particular use case, you know, you've got um, someone who might, as, as you very eloquently explain, someone with type 2 diabetes, they need to monitor uh, their blood glucose. They've got this technology to do it, but if that technology was available uh, before the fact or leading up to a point or at a point where intervention could, could actually play a part, then that makes a lot of logical sense to me. But as we both know, it's one thing for you to have that gut feel or even hear from a few people and to kind of just know it, but to have that research and backing, I think is going to be pretty critical. I actually saw someone had the, the device yeah. already on. We've all got a, we've all got a, the, t the tribe has a CGM on yeah, no. this week. So we're all using the Vively CGM platform to, um, you know, look at our glucose levels this week and just understand how, how the experience works. Mm. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I think, um, you know, um, metabolic health is, is, a, is a spectrum. So if you think about type two diabetes, it's, it's um, you know, one of the ways of diagnosing type two diabetes is looking at your HbA1c um, and sort of looking at um, a, a specific value. And if you're over that value, then you have type two diabetes, um, but that value is fluid. So you can actually reverse type two diabetes. Mm. Um, it's a reversible condition. And so continuous glucose monitoring allows you to kind of track um, your metabolic health um, before you develop type 2 diabetes. So understanding where you are in that metabolic health spectrum and then what can you then do and empowering patients with the education and the support um, to ensure that they can prevent type 2 diabetes from occurring. And so, you know, here at the camp, we're addressing some of the trickier problems and the challenges. And I guess it's one thing to say, you know, let's put together some research, get some data, get some patients through, do a trial and then say, great, look, here's the benefits. We've ticked a box. I feel like it's a little bit more than that, a few kind of things to work through. Preventative health, we know, is, is one example. At least, you know, I think the first thing that comes to mind is just being able to, to demonstrate that something has, like we're very good in healthcare at, at trying to fix something once it's broken, yeah. but um, we're not as good at communicating the importance and then executing to, to stop something from happening, if you know what I mean. So absolutely. is that part of what, what's happening? This yeah, week? yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, the Australian Medical Association um, have just put together a, a proposal around this as well, around prevention, and we need access to more data to be able to evaluate where people are. Um, there's a lot of Medicare reform um, around this at the moment, but obviously we can be doing a lot, a lot more. And I think that's what this research program that we're putting together is, is setting out to do. Um, so we're putting together an open source research um, 
uh, plan, um, which will have um, a set of sort of really important questions that researchers, PhD students can can pick up and tackle. And Vively will support those researchers with um, with some funding, um, but m- most importantly, with access to the data to be able to actually, um, you know, run their experiments. And I think about, you know, in your position, I guess, coming from industry, you, you would think that it would be more common for industry and research to work together in some of these things. But, uh, um, you know, it, it, it can often be overlooked or perhaps in uh, on the industry side, we can be so focused on trying to move very quickly and just get to the next point and, and that might may jar with you know the, the research side there's often a communication gap between the two things how, how do you see some of those bridges to be gapped and hopefully result in more innovations evidence-based uh, innovations that can come out in Australia in the future well I think curiosity camp is a perfect example of that mm. so research is something that I've really been struggling to grapple with over the last year year and a half I you know someone that comes from industry um, have a very you know, industry that takes a very different approach um, and, and we have a very different mindset. And so um, that, that's been a real struggle for me. But Curiosity Camp and what this week has done has sort of brought all of the stakeholders um, from the research community together um, to really just, just figure it out, just get into a room and figure it out. So it's been a great sort of forcing function for that because um, usually, you know, um, if you're from the industry side, it's, it's hard to find the time to build those relationships and have those conversations. Mm. So you kind of really need something like this to, to really bring it all together. And sometimes you don't know where to go or like get, right. get that, the data. So yeah, it, it is a good match. So final thoughts then, you know, we've got a, f- a few more days of Curiosity Camp left. Aside from hitting more bullseyes over here in the archery section, what, what else are you hoping to achieve from the next couple of days? Yeah, I think just, um, just having some more great conversations, getting curious, you know, these... Um, Excited for the provocation session that you're running later today, <laughs> um, and getting in touch with nature—it's beautiful. But um, but yeah, just spending more time on the on this open source research plan, um, hopefully getting some publicity around it, and and just fleshing out a lot of the details around that. For more content and community about technology and healthcare, visit talkinghealthtech.com.